The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken into you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, good morning. My name is Stacy Croft. If I haven't met you, I'm the pastor here, and I'm grateful to be with you on this super duper Taylor version morning. Um, <laughs> hilarious. Uh, if you think she's funny up here, you should uh, see her when she's doing the reception area over at uh, Old Hickory when people are walking through. She, she is, Jordan Ferris is uh, hilarious. <laughs> Lights it up. Uh, love it. Well, um, I, um, some of you may or may not know me, um, and uh, some of the things about me and growing up um, as a, a, a guy in Texas, um, my parents, when I was younger, uh, got separated and then divorced about middle school age. And I remember when they did, and I was an only child, and I'm a high extrovert, so I was always out of the house. And uh, particularly over at one of my best friends, who I grew up not only from you know middle school, high school, and even we roomed together freshman year in college. But I remember being at his house all the time. And, uh, and it, we would spend a night at each other's homes and hang out all the time. We'd do stuff, you know, watch... Uh, Christmas, the same Christmas movies together, so much so that I, even every Christmas now, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to see this movie or this movie. Like we had the same three or four movies we'd see. Uh, we used to set up a volleyball net in his backyard and, and invite people over and just ruin the grass. And his parents hated that all the time. And so uh, I just remember that, that there's so much about that um, and his uh, being in there. I, I remember I was just talking to somebody about this the other day and I was just saying how much, I just remember even sitting at, uh, the counter at, in, in their kitchen. And I love the food that his mom would make. Um, and just remember some of my favorite meals and the smells and the sounds and uh, the different uh, places in the house, like the carpet and the TV and, and just stuff like that. It was so, such a place like that. And uh, it's very humbling, actually. I think he, he may even listen, he's mentioned before, I listen to your sermon sometimes. I'm like, Okay, uh, which is very humbling for one of your dear friends to listen to your own uh, stuff or to delve into it. But, you know, one of the things about that, I remember even hearing um, as we were growing up, people would say even, um, you know, y- y'all kind of look alike. You know, if you saw us now, you probably don't look 
much alike, maybe, I don't know, but you know, it, it's similar to when you're around somebody uh, like a spouse or a, a close uh, friend or someone like that, and there's just traits about you that you just begin to kind of act or do or look alike. Um, and uh, even though you may not be blood relative, there's just something about that. Something about you take on the characteristics of where you dwell, right? Where you dwell, you begin to take on those things, and they begin to emanate from you. It'd be interesting for me to ask you, it's a very vulnerable question, actually, or someone else, to ask you where you dwell based on the things that they see coming out of your life, your thought life, your, your heart, the things you feel strongly about, like, Really show where you dwell. It's a vulnerable question. Because where we do dwell is where we find that we're most known, and, and, and it comes out of us. You know, this passage we just read is in the heart of what's called the upper room discourse. It's in a, in a group of chapters that John, which is one of the gospels, so if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four of the gospels mention this kind of moment, it's called the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus actually shares quite a bit with his disciples his last night with them before he's going to be arrested, betrayed, and go to the cross. But John does something a little different than the other three. He takes these moments in, in about four or five chapters and slows way down. You get to hear the words. You get to hear what the disciples think. They, they blurt things out, questions. You get to almost feel the kind of the sadness or, or joy or, 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 or tenure of the room. You get to smell what's going on. And, and it may be even from the last passage we looked at that they are walking, you know, we're, we're talking about vines and things. It may be, they may be walking through a garden at some point. We don't really know for sure. They were an agrarian society, so this kind of allegory, this illustration that Jesus is using is, is pretty common. But at the same point, they may be walking together and him pointing this out about vines and branches. But one thing's for sure is that he's talking about what it means to be a disciple. And if you caught it in here, he's talking about what it means. And when we talk about discipleship and following Jesus, oftentimes we talk about what does it mean for us to be a disciple? It's in our hands. Like, how are we disciples? How do we follow Jesus? How do we learn? How do we fail at following him? How do we, how do we grow at following him? What does it mean to be a disciple? <clears throat> but if you read the emphasis of this passage, marked even for the whole of this discourse, the, imp the importance isn't on what we think about discipleship. The emphasis isn't on you and I and be a disciple. <laughs> the emphasis is on what does it mean to be his disciple? What does it mean to dwell with him? to have a consistent source that's not up to you? What would it be like for you to live as a follower of Christ? Now, even if you're here, I'm not gonna expect that everybody in this room would say they're a follower of Jesus or claim to be a Christian or, or a disciple, but, but if you wanna know what a disciple means, what it means is, where do you really find the source of living to follow after? What does that mean? 
And Jesus goes in the heart of this to give an incredible allegory illustration for them to understand. If you want to be a disciple, this is where the resource is. This is what it means to emanate that out, that, that it comes out of you. There are numerous ways we could discuss what it means to be a disciple. What does it mean to be his disciple? So that's what we're gonna look at today. And we're actually gonna look at this in the way that Jesus just lays it out for us. We're gonna look at the vine, the branches, and the fruit. We're just gonna look at those three things. What is the vine, the branches, and the fruit? And how Jesus gives us this illustration for himself and for us. You know, he begins in verse one by saying, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. You know, vine, vine dresser, this kind of illustration, again, is not unusual for their context. They were an agrarian society. They were used to seeing plants. Jesus had given parables of the sower and, and other things like the mustard seed, things that they were used to that were gardening, tilling, those kind of things. But this image in particular of the vine was one that was very important for them. And it would have rung in their ears as first century listeners in that room, a vine in the Old Testament meant something more. It's actually one of the prized plants that represented Israel. First, for instance, Psalm 80, there are a number of verses that we can read, but Psalm 80 says this, speaks of a vine out of Egypt. In other words, remember, if you remember the Old Testament, God brought the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. They were a people, a vine. They were who they were. This is their, their description. Onward from not just those poetic books, but even the prophetic books, ones like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, these books that are kind of prophetic. They not just talk about the future, but they're talking about what's going on with Israel. And ultimately, and often, they speak of Israel as a vine. And as they speak of the vine, they talk about its demise. And not only its demise, but who's going to come after and actually rescue the demise of what is supposed to be this beautiful growth of a people that now is failing. Ezekiel 15, the entire chapter of, of, of Ezekiel 15 talks about this failing, this faithlessness of Israel. Isaiah 5 and 27 actually is probably after what Jesus just said, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, probably would ring in their ears. These are two songs, and I'm gonna read just two verses from the songs two or three that, that tell you what they're thinking. Isaiah 5, 5 says this, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste and it shall not, it, <clears throat> it shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns will grow up. I will also command the clouds for they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. You see what, in their mind, when Jesus talks about the vineyard and the vine, they're thinking of Israel. And they would remember these songs. And Israel has failed. So it's more so, not just that Jesus talks about the vine, but what does he say? I am the true vine. 
For him to say that would make them go, what are you talking about? Jesus again is saying, as he does in so many I am statements, two of them we've already looked at, that Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm the ultimate one. Where Israel has failed, I will succeed. What Israel should have been, I will be. Israel had begun to fall apart in terms of their justice. That's what it talks about. There's bloodshed that's injustice, the way they take care of their poor, the widows, the orphans, the way they handle money, the economics. Instead of righteousness towards God and others, there is all sorts of an outcry. There's not righteousness, it's, it's, it's everyone for themselves. And yet Jesus comes and says, I am the true vine. Instead of being plugged into who are the people of God, you will be plugged into me. Now, how are you to be the people of God? It's by being connected to Jesus himself. And here's what's really important. First, remember this. It's not that the Jewish people are thrown out. In fact, if you read a lot in the New Testament, it speaks often that the Jewish people are still a part of those original branches. Some are pruned, some are cast out. But Paul himself even says, to be sure that the good news goes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. But here's the massive difference, the source of that. Not being just in because you're a part of the people of God. Not just being in, where is it? There's, the source now is Christ. It means with Jesus as the true vine, and that word true has had a lot of ink spilled over it in a lot of commentaries, because true means that the veracity, there's no chance of climate problems. <laughs> I know many of you during snowpocalypse were like, this is awesome, but everybody's throwing blankets over their you know, bushes, everybody's getting ready, everybody's, okay. Everything died away, things are coming back. Some of us have allergies, you can hear some in me, some in you, you're like, okay, is it gonna freeze again? We have all those issues, guess what? This source never has an issue. What Jesus is saying is there's never a season, there's never a climate, there's never dormancy. The source is always active and healthy. And it means if you're attached to him, you're having life. And here's the other side of that. If you really would say you're a follower of Jesus and Jesus is the source, it means your discipleship can't be stagnant. It means following Jesus can't be a sleepy, cozy moment. It's not just a flat line. It's consistent growth. When it talks about a vine and branches, where it's going is saying growth in this source means there should be life, there should be things springing up, and the vine dresser knows it. That is the Father. What do you see in your life? What do you see dwelling in you that is coming up? Or is it a snooze? Is it just nice to be a follower of Jesus? You kind of come in the walls, you come, come here, but... Is it really a part of you? What's the source? It's got to be Jesus. It's got to be in him because if it isn't, you know it. And this is where he goes next. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that, he may, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're walking through this, as you're thinking, okay, the father is the vine dresser. You need to, you need to capture what he's saying. He's, he's again saying that God himself, the father, in your discipleship is not inactive. When we think about being a disciple, we think, okay, now Jesus has come. We've believed it. And this is what happens so often for us. We just kind of thought, now it's up to me. We got to take it in our hands. We got we to do this. But did you hear what he's saying? That the father is the vine dresser. That means in his hands to cultivate, to get into your life, to the soil, to the rough edges, to the places he snaps off things to prune, the ways his hands are active in your life for you to be a disciple. Your discipleship isn't just like something else. This is the difference of Christianity in any other idea, philosophy, or religion. It's not a teaching that then you take and you go, I'm gonna work this out best in my life. It's a heavenly father who is the vine dresser that if you're connected to the source, his hands are in yours. And that can be very unnerving. Because talk about vulnerability. It means you can't remain stagnant. It means he has intentions for you. And notice, he names a number of them. One of them kind of can make you unnerving here. It says, the branches that don't bear fruit, he takes away. It even says at the bottom, what, are, what do they do with them in verse six? Anyone who does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and is gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, immediately when you read something like that, you may go, okay, how do I know if I'm a Christian or not? What he's getting at here is something different. The truth of the scriptures is once saved, always saved. There's not a, you haven't done enough. What he's saying here is there are plenty of people that have been attached who act as if they have connection and never have. In other words, we can come to church. We can be in small groups. We can look to every way religiously as these kind of things to be a source rather than Jesus and think that that's our connection. It's different than struggling through, okay, gosh, I'm struggling reading my Bible. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? It's not what he's getting at. What he's saying is, there are many of us that can come all our lives and never own or have a relationship with Jesus, thinking that we do and supplanting it with any other religious kind of thing. That's what he's saying. That in other words, we can identify with an institution and not with Jesus. I remember reading uh, some years ago, <clears throat> great book, uh, Andre Agassi's book. I don't know if you're familiar with him, tennis player, very fam famous American tennis player, uh, who I just saw the other day. He's like playing pickleball in some like, you know, 
tournament. I'm like, can you imagine playing pickleball against Andre Agassi? This guy was so fast, by the way. It's like, you, I mean, there's, you have no chance. Like, there's no way you can win. Um, he wrote a book called Open. Uh, you can re- obviously hear it on, um, on books or um, audiobook or something. But one of the things that's interesting, and I'm not going to, ru- it's not going to ruin the book for me to tell you this, but <clears throat> everything, no, I'm not going to tell you all that. Uh, he begins the book, the very first few pages, he says this, he goes, the secret of my tennis life is that I hate tennis. I hate it. And really, the book kind of unfolds more and more of why he hates it. But really, like, here's one of the greatest American tennis players of all time, decorated. And yet, he swam in that, and he hates it. He talks about this, uh, his dad, how he, his dad forced it upon him to be this kind of player, how he was sent off to this camp in Florida for years to become kind of this major tennis player. It's kind of like a boot camp for young tennis players and the way you wake up and just involved and going and going and going. And yet, he's one of the best, decorated, has it all, hates it. And in some ways, wants no connection with it. That is a great picture of what Jesus is getting at here, is we can understand a lot about church, God, Jesus, these kind of things. We can grow up in it. We can have it all about us, and yet we can actually hate it. That's what Jesus is talking about being cut off from. This is what Jesus talks about with the Pharisees often. The Pharisees in the New Testament are having arguments with him over and over. He said, we're children of Abraham. Why in the world would you tell us that we're not? He said, no, you're not. You can have the bloodline of Abraham all you want, but the faith line, you have not. Nicodemus, remember, and you might even see one of these signs on, uh, today. <laughs> John three sixteen. you know those in the end zone? You're like, why do people hold that up all the time? If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, John 3.16 is a very famous chapter of a a Pharisee who comes to Jesus by night. He's like a teacher of the teachers, and his question to Jesus is, tell me, I don't understand all this. Tell me what you're doing. Jesus talks to him about being born again, and, and you would think that he's like, what? In fact, Nicodemus goes, what are you talking, how can a person be born again, like climb back into his mother's womb? That's weird. Jesus goes, you don't understand what I'm talking about? You can be all around it and never know. Because we may not be in the source, connected to the real one, that is Jesus, and that's what Jesus does. And the next is a prunes, right? Those that he wants who are his disciples, if you're actually in the source, he prunes them. His his method for training and caring, he gets his hands in there, and it hurts. You know, they actually had a pruning method, and you may have seen some of these things sometimes when you see somebody that has a really beautiful garden. They have like a trellis or or poles, and the vines will will, will run up them. Well, that's what they used to use. And they would have the vine on that, and it created an easier way to train the vine and the branches in order to prune that. And it says sometimes it took over five years to even just get the vine and the branches in the right space on the trellis or pole or tree in order for them to even keep it going. But they had to do that. It was an easier method in order to train. But pruning means this, right? God intervenes. 
To be pruned means there may be a way you're growing and you think it's growth and God says, I'm gonna really make you grow. Fruit doesn't always mean you walk around feeling like really holy, like I know more verses than I ever knew before. I've been to church this many times. You know, it's not always the things you think. Growth means you may see your life in shambles and yet you feel more and know more of your connection to the source is Jesus than you ever have in your life. Your world could be falling apart and yet your source in Jesus could be more profound and precious than ever. That's being pruned. That's where he gets his hands into your world and knows that. Look, I'm not a green thumb. Uh, I've seen a lot of plants come and go in my, uh, at my home, and I am not good. I have to ask a lot of questions. But one of the things I do know is that as I've seen a number of trees, bushes, uh, grass even, grow in my yard or around my house, I've had to ask. This, like, crepe myrtle is way different to cut and, and prune away than this boxwood. The grass around needs a lot more of tending and caring than I really want to admit I would give to it. (laughs) Pruning takes not just work, it takes wisdom. God has incredible wisdom for each branch, which is each of you and each of them, to know the ways that he wants you to bear more fruit. He wants more than you want for you. He wants the sweetness of what this world would taste of the good news of the gospel to come through your life. And sometimes that means pain, sometimes that means joy, but it means his hands are always with you. That means he's always with you. And this is where Jesus goes next. Verse four, and I love this word. Abide in me and I in you. And guess what? He uses it over and over. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide. It's an active verb. It means to dwell in regularly. It means you're with all the time. One of the greatest prepositions in the New Testament, if you ever read the New Testament and you kind of pick up some of these things and just kind of ask like what you're reading is the word in. And usually when it's said, it's in Christ. If you read this, what abiding is, abiding isn't just, hey, be with. Abide here in almost every place. It says, abide in me. Abide in me. If anyone doesn't abide in me, it's an in. To to be a branch means you can't be independent. It means you're consistently over and over in that source, the life that never withers. And you know, and this is what I was saying at the very beginning, (laughs) you know the sources and the places where you're trying to dwell that are not gonna give you what you want. Uh, One of the things I'd say at almost every wedding, 
when I'm standing there with a couple and I'm giving the homily, and oftentimes we're talking about love, and in many chapters, especially like this one, uh, or John, First uh, John come up with, uh, you know, talk about abiding in love. One of the things I'll say often, if not every time, is I'll tell them and I'll say, if you look to your marriage to give you love, you will not have it. The source of your relationship cannot be your marriage. Your marriage can't be what you plug. If you plug your branch into any sort of source like that, your children, the things we, we think of give us any sort of work, any sort of friendship that, that we think is going to give us the ultimate source of that, it will not produce what we want. It will not. And we will be devastated by it. It would be very interesting, wouldn't it, for us to ask, what are the things we not, we're not even aware of that we, we, we ultimately, when we're afraid, when we're scared, when we're pushed or pressed, where do we try to abide that, that keeps us lonely away and doesn't plug us into the source of life that is Jesus, to be in, to be with, dwell. Notice the word abide. It's a connection. It's relationship. It's not just abide. Do it. Step up. You got this. It's abide. You're not by yourself. When we're pressed, uh, man, I'm sure you'll hear it again with the looming political season. <laughs> it will be interesting for us, not just with a party, but with certain platforms. What's going to push our buttons politically of where we think we dwell and where we really dwell? What pushes our buttons with our money, with our time? The source has to be in Christ. Notice he says this, and this is what I love that Jesus adds in this. He says in verse three, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. If you're listening and you're thinking about discipleship and you're sitting there and you're still going, okay, what do I need to do to do this? You're missing it. This table is telling you so. Verse three is saying, if you want to know what it means to be clean and pruned and grow and abide, you're already there. To be clean isn't up to you. To come to this table means you can't clean yourself. It means you must have already been cleaned by Jesus in his word. That's what he's saying. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Yes, we listen to God's word. Yes, pruned and growth means obedience. But guess what? You can't obey if you haven't been cleaned first. And if you want to grow in following Jesus, if you want to turn this world on its head, it means you stop trying to clean yourself. And you live out of being clean. 
If you want to know what it means to grow, to see fruit unending, and what fruit is, is change. Don't you want to see change in your life? And maybe you're here and you're like, eh, I kind of like the way I am. <laughs> if you're following Jesus, this is a come-as-you-are party. It is not a stay-as-you-are party. What's different about this table than any other is you can come to this table as you are, but you will never leave the same. And it's not because you tried so hard. It's because God is actually at work in you to make you more and more that beautiful, radiant, delicious, fragrant fruit in your life that everyone, including yourself, would see around and hear the good news to take you from shame, to take you from feeling unclean and reminding you, look, it's not your feeling, it's not your shame, you are clean. Hear that, hear me friends, I wanna say it to you again. It's really important. Jesus says, you are clean. Amen. Thanks be to God, let's stand together.